the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Welcome to the show. It's Monday. Well, here's my best of, but that's okay. Um, I guess it could be a best of for Mondays, huh? Maybe I'll second hour, I'll do a best of. Who knows? Uh, where do we go from here? Well, I think we look at Wall Street for one, right? Um, in large part, the treasury market rallied sharply on Friday, followed a weaker than expected employment report. It wasn't weak, though. It's important to note, weaker than expected, but not weak. So the Federal Reserve will see this data as a basis for not rushing it to lift the Fed funds rate off the zero bound anytime soon. The drop in long-term rates was a really good thing for stocks, only the stock market didn't rally. So today the stock market's taking a look at the data. We got through the weekend, Putin sanctions, um, Iraq and uh, you know, oil well issues there, a dam issue, and, you know, what will the flow of oil be, Kurd rebels, then you get into a little bit of uh, Israel over the weekend, and we're rallying. Ten-year treasury bonds, it's back under 2.5%. Anytime it's under 4% by stocks. So basically, if you're driving work to work right now, and you've got a 5, 10, 15, 20, 25-year time horizon, anytime the 10-year treasury is under 3.5%, you definitely buy stocks, in my opinion. Anytime it's under 4%, you probably buy stocks, in my opinion. Not always, but likely. Um, so the last couple of years, I've been very, very heavy stocks, and it's paid off for me. It's not advice that's going to work all the time, but it's advice that works over time. Hmm. S&P 500 up 5, the Dow's up 21, the Nasdaq up 10, 20 points. Not seeing anything exceptional jumping off the screen as far as, like, Oh my gosh, did you see that stock today? But back to a little bit of commentary. We had a big sell-off last week. Um, some concerns about the Fed's raising rates sooner than expected. Then Friday we saw the jobs number wasn't that great. So we're back to the Fed, you know, maybe, maybe not kind of thing. We're micromanaging a little bit too much on a day-by-day basis. So timing 
for getting that jobs number and for getting you know the Fed commentary into the month, it tends to you know raise the scope of things or widen the scope. I guess is the right way of saying that. So, but we have positive disposition today, and we'll see how far that takes us. This has been a market that every time there's been a little bit of a correction, we've bought into it. And last week I was actually talking about corrections. On the news, I went out and said, you know, hey, if these two or three bad days turn into two or three bad weeks, I'll love it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. Um, <clears throat> thank you. Thank you. My voice kind of died on me, and my singers helped me. It's always good to have backup. It's always good to have backup, especially if you go into a meeting with your boss. It's always good to have backup singers. So a silly notion of a $6.6 billion bailout of Portugal's largest private bank. Ooh. <laughs> That's going on out there today. Um, Banco Espirito Santo, Portugal's central bank, is you know something to be cheered. Bailout? Mm-hmm, sure. So today we get luxury retailer Michael Kors uh, reported better than expected results for the June quarter. A lot of people are worried that Kors is too much going on. They've kind of got the high end. They've kind of got a uh, average person. They've got a, a discount angle. So and sometimes those can eat into each other. You know, the average person who saves up for the big ticket item. Nope, just buy the average person item. The average person getting, you know, hit. Oh, look, I can get a cheap one. So you kind of see how that can happen. Um, 44% increase in revenue. So, but it rained on their own parade. I know, you're saying 44% revenue gain, da, 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 da. But next quarter's going to be below expectations. Like, I'll take a sound effect. I'll take the downer. Thank you. Thank you very much. So shares, of course, are lower on that. And they've fallen 20% from their high in late in late February. Just working with it. Work with me on this one. Uh, no big economic data of note out today. Slow week in general for economic reporting. Monetary policy from the ECB. Ooh, European Central Bank, is that our big economic data this week? Bank of England and Bank of Japan. They'll update their policy stances later this week. So we're going to pay attention to the stock market. Stock market, stock market. Um, and again, the two big stories today, Michael Kors, good numbers, but lower expectations, and lower expectations are hurting it. This is a market of what have you done for me lately? Portugal's Banco Espiritual Santo. Getting the bailout, strength day in consumer discretionary stocks, healthcare stocks, financials, materials, tech. So a little bit of growth, uh, snapback, but also a little bit of defense. With uh, the financials, uh, well, I'm sorry, with the healthcare. Weakness in consumer staples, energy, teleco services, and utilities. I think with all the healthcare that America is receiving, and the free healthcare, and the Obamacare, and the you know healthcare, 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 fatter, fatter nation. I think uh, you can make a case for owning a little bit of a little bit of healthcare in your portfolio. Uh, depending on how much you need, I don't know. Up to somebody other than me, right? So some blasts hit Gaza within minutes of a truce. An apparent airstrike hit a home in the Gaza Strip, killing an eight-year-old girl in the first minutes after a unilateral Israeli truce and its month-old conflict with Hamas. Um, tragic. I don't care what side you're on. Tragic. Eight-year-old kid. So deserves different. And it's sad that the politicians are the ones who are probably the safest in all of this, and the people that they represent are probably the ones who are most exposed um, Iraq authorized some airstrikes in the north, so Iraqi Prime Minister Nouri al-Malki authorized the Air Force to provide support to Kurdish fighters battling Sunni extremists. That seems to be why oil's not rising, even though there's some 
problems with the Sunni extremists taking over some uh, areas tied towards oil. Hmm. HBO. This is kind of interesting. Not in the United States, but overseas, they're weighing some more web TV services. Despite intense interest from consumers, HBO is in the United States so far has no plans to offer an online version of its service to people who aren't paid television subscribers. But overseas, it absolutely is. So they had an over-the-top web TV service in Nordic countries since 2012. Now it's exploring other countries where it could expand that model. Um, so if you want HBO online, but you don't want the cable channels to go with it, move to Japan, move to Turkey. Seems reasonable to me, right? You with me, against me. This is a civil war. You must choose a side. Um, and I will hold it against you if you don't choose my side. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, poke, poke. Get what I mean, get what I mean. Um, big event coming up. Yay! Financial Freedom and Retirement Planning Seminars. Uh, San Rafael, August 16th. So a couple Saturdays from now. Boy, that bums me out. That bums me out. Uh, last thing in the world I want to do. All day, hang out with you. On a Saturday, in Marin, no, no less. Four points by Sheraton in San Rafael, 1010 Northgate. Going to do a wealth preservation retirement planning in the morning, from 9 to noon. Going to talk for people 40-plus years old, looking for ways to generate secure, steady income. There. Uh, then in the afternoon, I'm going to do an event called the 20 Steps to Financial Freedom. It's closer than you think. I'm going to explain the 20 steps that can help anyone achieve financial independence and security. So this could be in Marin, not this Saturday, but the following Saturday. Hope to see you there. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. We're off and running. If you have any topics you want me to talk about, drop me an email at rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. Sign up for the events at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. When 21st Century Fox and Time Warner report earnings results on Wednesday, and we're almost out of earnings season, there's a couple more days, a couple biggies, we're not going to really be looking at these companies for their quarterly performance. We're going to be listening to how they make a case or not make a case for why the merger battles should continue to go on. And does Fox acquire Time Warner offer enough money? And probably yes. Get Time Warner stock going, and Time Warner fights back and says, you know what, we're not interested. We'll see. But Time Warner, Fox, Viacom, CBS, Disney, we're watching. All of us are watching various components of the earnings season. 
because these guys are players. They have content, and the content that we kind of want to consume. It's Comcast, the Time Warner Cables, the AT&Ts, the DirecTV. They make up the media landscape. Some of them are content producers. Some of them are content distributors. Some of them are both. But I'm pretty darn sure Disney will be a lot around and kicking when I'm, you know, six feet under. That's why I can make a case for buying it even when it's expensive. But it doesn't mean I'm going to make money each and every year. But I can make a case for it that over the long term, it's going to take care of me. You make a case for whatever you buy and live by it. SP 500 up three, the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 11, NASDAQ up 13. Let's welcome in CFP Chad Burton. CFP Chad Burton with New Focus Financial. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. Chad, one of the big issues in retirement is knowing your sources of income. We all know Social Security is going to be there, but what other sources of income might we have? Well, it's going to come from, you're going to have a balanced portfolio, hopefully, so you have stocks and bonds in that, in terms of funds and ETFs. Bonds pay interest, stocks pay dividends. If you're going to be buying individual stocks in retirement, I'm a fan of stocks that have a history of increasing their dividend, because when the market's bad, if you have three out of ten years that are negative and your stock portfolio is down, you can still have income that's up. Right. So that's very important, but you still want going into retirement, you want... You know, 20 to 40% of your income, uh-huh. especially if you think you're going to live a long time and you have longevity in your family, sure. you want, you know, 20 to 40% minimum in guaranteed lifetime income and okay. like, like replacing what pensions used to be there for. For your parents, they used to have pensions. Right. We and don't. We don't. But you can do your own personal pensions. And even if you have, a, so you basically are turning your portfolio that you've created from age 20 to 60 into a pension. Yeah. You kind of start thinking, I have to annuitize this. It has to last till the day I die. Yeah. So, you know, I use a strategy where I have three years' worth of expenses, a balanced portfolio, a stock portfolio. But I also use, um, in, off, in many cases, right now bonds are a very tough thing to invest in because their prices are at an all-time high, yields are at an all-time low. I'm not seeing inflation, so I'm not scared of bonds right now. Okay. But eventually we'll have to switch. So if you're trying to say, what's a bond alternative where I can still get 5% or more over my lifetime out of my bond portfolio? There are certain no-load insurance products that can give you that type of, a, of, of an income where you can invest in a balanced portfolio and the insurance company will guarantee you know, 5 to 7% income for the rest of your life. These products used to be awful because they used to be in annuities that had back-end surrender charges, you know, 3.5% fees inside of them. Now there's no-load versions of it. Right. And there's also standalone insurance products now that will insure a portfolio for lifetime income, which is okay on a bond alternative. And, and so you can you have an overall strategy, and then you might have some bond alternatives in your portfolio that have guaranteed lifetime, so that with your Social Security and some of those alternative uh, income investments, you have a portion that if you live till 100 and the market doesn't do well, you still have income, and that's important. As a certified financial planner, how often do people come into your office without enough retirement thinking they had enough retirement? I would say probably 50% of the time. And the reason why is because they're not thinking about health insurance costs. They're not thinking about long-term care. They're not realizing that, you know, inflation. Yeah. I mean, every about 18 years, you're, you're, you know, dollars cut in half with inflation. And is that the, you know how there's the, seven, the rule of 72? Yeah. Money doubles every seven years, something right. like that. So you divide 72 by the expected rate of return. Yeah. And that's how long it takes to double. It's the same thing. If inflation is so running up at 3%, then okay. it's going to take 18 to 20 years for the for the opposite of that to happen, for the dollar to cut in half. So you, you have to increase, um, you know, you're, you have to have a very detailed income sh- statement that shows your long-term projection with average expenses growing at least 3%, but your health care costs growing at 5 to 6% a year. 
Anything that we need to know on a final thought? Well, again, when you're when you're looking at some of the products that are out there, be aware of who's showing you the products. If they're insurance people that get paid a commission or if they're working at a big firm or a bank that get paid a commission, the product might sound good, but you can get no-load versions of that product with much, much lower fees. So make sure you're working with a fiduciary that has your best interest in mind rather than somebody that's working on a commission and has to get paid by selling you something. I've been talking with CFP Chad Burton. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And again, we always have events coming up. We have an event coming up in two Saturdays from now. It's going to be in the Bay Area. I would love for you to come out. Um, it's in Marin. So it's my typically only visit to Marin for the year. Sometimes we get two in, but this is, um, I think, the only one for this year, unless we do one very, very, very late in the year. So it's going to be a financial freedom, which is basically I'm trying to give you 20 ideas Uh, 20 of the most basic, strongest concepts that will get you to wealth. Uh, The afternoon event from 1 to 4 is really for, I'm not going to say beginners, but younger people. Um, Not dynamic, not 60-year-olds. If you're 60 and you're coming to the event, you've done something wrong. Again, it's San Rafael. It's a couple Saturdays from now. One event in the morning is going to be for those who've done some things great and they're 40-plus years old. They're cruising towards retirement or they're in retirement. Um, that's going to be wealth preservation, retirement planning, um, educational workshop. Um, trust me, if you learn one thing, it's totally worth five bucks to get in. Five bucks gets you coffees and pastries and uh, things like that. So trust me, it's not a moneymaker in any way, shape, or form. But it goes over diversification, estate planning ideas, balancing your portfolio, portfolio efficiency with taxes, asset allocation. The afternoon event is more so for uh, people who are you know, learning, per se, um, wealth accumulation, and the morning is more so for wealth preservation. Those are the two types of investors that I really see out there. Stocks are rising today on the Portugal bailout as uh, Berkshire Hathaway, also in the news today. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway, big company, beat earnings expectations. His fund is so big that a lot of people see it as kind of a barometer of the economies worldwide. Uh, but particularly in the United States. So Berkshire Hathaway shares up 1.3%. I think he's got like $50 billion um, in cash at this point in time. He owns energy companies. He owns railroad companies. He owns insurance companies. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're not going to see many of his businesses, if any of his businesses ever go out of business, uh, that he owns into. Some 72 companies report earnings this week, including Disney and Time Warner. Got my eyeballs on you. DR Horton got up 2%. Barron's did a nice piece on their stock uh, this weekend. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. As a financial interest in the success of New Focus Financial. Talking Heads, David Byrne. 
Psycho Killer. One of my favorite concert films of all time, Talking Heads. Stop Making Sense. The very first scene of Stop Making Sense, David Byrne comes out with a boombox. He's all by himself, and he turns on the boombox, and this song starts playing. And somewhere in there, he starts dancing, and it looks crazy. You're like, what is that? If you have someone who's older in the room who's seen, seen the movie Singing in the Rain, it's the Singing in the Rain routine without the umbrella. It's pretty kind of cool. I don't know. I like my music to have like some entertainment to it. I think that's important. Let's talk fun things here, shall we? By fun things, I'm talking about stories that we can learn from that you didn't think you could necessarily learn from. For instance, tiny flying robots are being built to pollinate crops instead of real bees. It's pretty cool. This little thing is the size of a quarter. It's called the Robo-Bee. Honeybees, which pollinate nearly one-third of the food we eat, have been dying at unprecedented rates because of a mysterious phenomenon known as colony collapse disorder. The situation is so dire that in late June, the White House gave a new task force just 180 days to devise a coping strategy to protect bees and other pollinators. Crisis is generally attributed to a mixture of disease, parasites, and pesticides. Other scientists pursue a different task, though. Task, tack, tack is probably the word I was looking for. Replacing the bees. There's no perfect solution, but Harvard University researchers, led by a guy named Robert Wood, introduced robo-bees, bee-sized robots with the ability to lift off the ground, hover midair when tethered to a power supply. The details are published in the Journal of Science, which I like reading to get some insights and some future angles to make sure that nothing collapses on me. But um, we're basically on the eve of a pretty big development. The robot can carry more than its weight. It's a breakthrough in micro-aerial vehicles. If you think about some of the drone stories you hear, think about a teeny tiny drone that could replace a bee. We'll see. Um, does this story automatically mean this is where we're at? A little over a year after it was announced, the first robotic insect took flight. Um, that's how fast we are coming up with ideas and implementing them. So, I don't know. Uh, you hear stories about, oh, food costs are going to go higher, but here's an angle where food costs might be able to go lower. And when you study the patents on this, they're fascinating. This little insect, it's got a motion, track, a motion tracker on it. It's obviously got a center, an access for rolling, a pitch access, which again goes back to high school algebra and geometry and, oh, I should have paid more attention. Trigonomics. I know most people don't get to trigonomics, I think. I don't know my West Coast schools as well as I know my East Coast schools, but uh, it's always a good sign to get to trig. Um, Passive rotation wing hinges, flight muscles, has to have obviously transmission on it. So I think we're pretty close to announcing some things that like may surprise. Next up, let's talk a little NFL, National Football League. We all know that 80% of the athletes who make millions and millions and millions of dollars end up bankrupt. They're highly celebrated, they're highly paid. But most of them experience money problems and go bankrupt. 
80%. Not all of them do, though. There's a couple players who have post-career savings that they banked, and they end up doing some pretty cool stuff with it, like Donnie Jones, or maybe Dahani Jones. He was a linebacker for the New York Giants, Philadelphia Eagles, Cincinnati Bengals. He was in the league from 2000, spent the next 10 years making his mark. He was able to score some nice contracts, one for $5 million. Upon retiring, he landed a travel channel show called Diani Tackles the Globe. He opened the Bowtie Cafe in the historic Mount Adams neighborhood of Cincinnati. His biggest splash came when he founded VMG Creative in New York City, a 10-employee advertising and design firm boasting a few pretty high-profile clients, including Procter & Gamble. He reportedly makes about $3 million a year now. Good for him. One more player to highlight, just again to show you that, you know, um, these are all pretty interesting angles that we hear the bad. Now let's talk about the good. This guy I met, Eugene Prophet. He was a cornerback for the Washington Redskins. I believe he also played for the Patriots. Spent four seasons in the NFL when his career ended in 94. He decided to use his Yale education to kick off the second half of his career as an investment manager. I met with him back in Washington, D.C., actually in Maryland, where because of his color of his skin, he was given a very low-cost tax to open up his business in a neighborhood that didn't have a lot of businesses, especially like his. So he started as a financial consultant, spent two years there, then he started his own investment firm called Profit Investment Management. He's the president and CEO. I was trying to use his back office when I was uh, running my own money. He was running money. I was running money. I was going to use his back office to save some money. He's grown substantially since, 2000, since 1996, growing from $300,000 to approximately $2 billion under management as of 2010. He's done very, very well. Good guy. And I only bring that up um, because we usually hear these stories about people with just disastrous collapses. Like Rick Meyer, this last one I'll hit, and we don't need the music for this, but he was an Oakland Raider and a San Francisco 49er. Um, I want to say he played for about 10, 11 seasons. Um, he founded Mirror Wine Company, a five-person winery in St. Helena, California. It sells Cabernet Sauvs and Cabs uh, and Sauv Blancs, mainly to distributors and online. Percentage of the company's proceeds benefit his family foundation, which assists children in his hometown of Goshen, Indiana. Earnings from his wine company are estimated to be about $400,000 annually. So, good, you know. $400,000 in earnings, not bad when you start factoring in payroll and salaries and everything. Um, and again, some NFL players end up doing A-OK. Now, Time Warner, HBO. I think this story is of note in large part. HBO is talking about its web TV services overseas. And when we look at, like, Netflix, we hear, oh, Netflix, United States. They've got X amount of subscribers. And then you hear about overseas. They're just starting to grow that business, Right. Um, now HBO is talking about a little bit more of doing some more. Let's turn on international expansion for HBO, but a lot of people don't want cable television overseas. A lot of people don't have cable television overseas um, or satellite television services. They're too expensive. So HBO is looking at its options. HBO generated $1.8 billion in profit last year. That's about a quarter of Time Warner's total. It's a pretty big chunk of it. It's home to TV's most acclaimed shows, I would say. Uh, the U.S. market's getting tougher for HBO, though, as it's a very mature television market. So now they're looking overseas. And again, 
Sex in the City, they don't got to pay horsey face money anymore. They could uh, just honestly reuse her Sex in the City show for years and years and years and years. James Gandolfini. James Gandolfini, six feet under the ground. They don't have to pay him any money to use his Tony Soprano and the Sopranos characters. Um, so these are people who worked for Time Warner, very similar to way Cinderella and Snow White worked for Disney years and years and years ago. And Disney, the evil company that they are, not paying those chicks anymore. Those ladies. Hey, ladies. Um, let's bring out Cinderella one more time. This time on Blu-ray, the experience with a digital download. You get a free stuffed Cinderella doll. Cinderella, Cinderella. And now they're going to be movies called Tinderella, Tinderella. And uh, long story short, long story short, uh, they don't have to pay. So you can kind of see HBO's The Modern Disney or The Grown-Up Disney. Um, Disney, for their part, I'm surprised they don't have their own cable channel. They're launching internationally and overseas, complementing their business. Giving more experience in running a broadband service, Time Warner and HBO. They kind of get it. Um, HBO just added 400,000 subscribers in the United States, which equal to 29.3 million. Domestic revenue growth increasingly relies on raising prices uh, on distributors by about 4 to 5% each year as part of long-term contracts. company hopes to boost U.S. growth by targeting cost-conscious viewers with slimmed-down cable TV packages that include HBO and by trying to restructure deals with distributors so it records more financial upside. But it's, it's the international market that looks like this big, fat, juicy steak to a a dog who's mouth-watering and just going, you know, owner, please go away. Let the doorbell ring. And, you know, the moment you go, that steak's gone. Same thing with HBO. They're looking at the international markets like, how do we do this? Let's pull this off. You know, they added 400,000 subscribers between 2007 and 2013, but internationally, HBO added 10,000 users last year. Um, Twice as many as HBO and Cinemax added in the U.S. in the past decade. Problem is, customers in many overseas markets pay a lot less than Americans do. Time Warner executives are confident prices will rise over time as foreign pay TV markets mature. So, can I make an angle to own Time Warner? I can. Then again, there's some things that scare me. And I, I just at least pay attention to it. Piracy is getting easier and easier. HBO gets about half the 16 bucks a month that you pay if you have HBO on your cable. HBO is going to continue to periodically reassess whether a broadband-only service is worthwhile in the United States. Would you pay $10 and suddenly they're making $2 more a month? Netflix is at, what, $9 a month now? $8.99? Let's take a El Braco, which is Spanish or Caribbean for let's go to break and come right back. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com.
Hey, everybody. Me, Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone today. Give me a call. Is that too much to ask? 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Maybe I'll open up the show at some point in time to WhatsApp so that you can just ask your question on WhatsApp, send it to the show, and then we can play it that way. Maybe. Um, seems like a good idea. Maybe. I'll think about it. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Let's do a, a quick look-see, shall we, at the old stock market. Portugal's Banco Espirito, uh, pretty big bank in Portugal, got a bailout. Five billion euros. Uh, I remember when I was in Portugal many, many years ago before the European Union, before the euro, I think Portugal had a, a currency called the Esquedo, and I just called them excusodes, because there was like one million excusodes would get you like a dollar. <laughs> You're like, how much is a soda? Two million Esquedos? Whoa. I used to love the foreign currency game of, am I getting ripped off or not? Michael Coors beat earnings expectations. Yay! Revenues roared. Yay! And then they said next quarter won't be as good. Ooh. And that's how Wall Street works. Coors is not having a good day today. It's not having a bad day. But it's... I refer to Jim Cramer as the guy who is the preacher from the church of what's working now on Wall Street. And it's kind of true. Um, Wall Street cares about what are you going to do in the next six months, not the last six months. Strength today in consumer discretionary stocks, energy stocks, financial stocks, tech stocks. Crude oil has rallied off the morning lows, showing a little bit of modest gains. September crude is at $98.24 a barrel. That's of note because there's a lot of tensions in Iraq. Iraq scrambled their air force to fight the uh, Sunnis in the north uh, and to help the Kurds. Copper has been climbing as well today. September copper currently up 1.1%, $3.25 a pound. Copper is an industrial metal. I'm not a big fan of gold. Uh, the metals that I care about, typically copper. A little bit on gold. I mean, I won't totally say I'm, I'm against gold, but I'm not big into it in any way, shape, or form. The iShares Biotech Index up today. Philadelphia Semiconductor Index up the tech-heavy NASDAQ thus up as well, because tech-heavy NASDAQ is made up of a lot of stocks uh, that happen to be biotech stocks as well as uh, technology stocks. So that's worthy of note. It's not like jump up and down. That's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Note, but it's not bad either. Uh, market's a little bit weaker. Started stronger. S&P 500 was up a fraction it right now. Dow's down 15. The NASDAQ up 2. Three biggest risks facing the market right now. What are they? Um, Russia is definitely one of them. Sanctions are hurting Europe for sure. Number two, the Fed could lose control of the yield curve. People have been too trusting of the Federal Reserve. Until this week, the Fed has really been had good control over the yield curve, and yields have been going lower. What the people are worried about out there of uh, Wall Street is that Yellen is a labor market economist, and she's focused on labor costs. Labor costs have spiked more than expectations. Therefore, if it moves up, the possible date with the Fed to take action, in theory, and pull away the punch bowl of cheap money would move up. Portugal right now could also be a sign of a credit spread contagion. So over the weekend, Portugal's biggest bank got a nice little bailout. Um, 
So that tells you, like, hmm, remember two years ago when we had this whole Greece thing? The Greeks were rioting in the streets. That credit weakness kind of bled over into some other countries. So now we watch Spain, you know, uh, Portugal, Ireland, Italy. Ciao. Not a big fan of Italy. Ciao. Italian men who wear scarves and drive Vespa scooters and they match their shoes with their scarf. Really? 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 Ciao. So, that's what we got. I think we're going to have some volatile times in the next 30 days because those three areas are being watched. Um, I think... Earnings season was pretty good. You know, we're still not completely done with it, but we're through the, the biggest two to three weeks. Now we've got about 70-plus companies this week, um, big media companies in particular. So we're paying attention to that. Other thoughts out there today in the world of investment dollars? Guardians of the Galaxy did well. Um, science fiction adventure comedy pulled in $94 million, the third highest opening of the year. And Disney wins again. Starring Chris Pratt, second from, uh, this is a new franchise for him. He's kind of maybe leaving TV. I think he was on the show Community, I think. Don't quote me on that. Um, third highest opening of the year, and the best opening for a year for a non-sequel. Although there's a sequel already planned for 2017. So we kind of know Disney has this plan for all their superheroes. Guardians of the Galaxy are kind of superheroes that... The, the franchise is going to pull together in their next sets of movies of the Thor and that sets of movie Captain America and the Avengers, a storyline that goes over like six of those movies. So you know how you saw like The Hobbit be turned into a three, three episodes or three big releases and uh, um, Hunger Games, three to four big releases, big franchise that lasts a long time and it just prints money. And then it gets sold into syndication and to companies like Netflix for big doleros. Guardians of the Galaxy, based on some of Marvel's most obscure comics, opened the weekend $94 million. Not too shabby. Um, the average grade? A. So it indicates that Disney's making some pretty good darn good action movies. Uh, people are pleased with what they're seeing. Anyhow. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. You can find me online at robblack.com. Got some seminars coming up. You can find those at robblack.com. Going to be in Marin a couple Saturdays from now. I'd love to see you there. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you. 
at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Let's talk money issues. Let's talk big money issues, okay? I was reading The Economist this weekend, which is one of my favorite magazines. Um, it's not an easy read sometimes. And one of the articles published talked about President Barack Obama. And that got me thinking. It's a pretty insightful article. And inside the article, it's almost as if there's a contentious thing going on between the president and corporate America. True that. Now, Obama said corporate America, in their article, has done well under his economic policies. He told The Economist magazine that CEOs should stop complaining about regulations and show greater social responsibility. He said, quote, if you look at what's happened over the last four or five years, the folks of, who don't have a right to complain are the folks at the top. Not crazy about using the word folks, but okay. Um, Republicans have sought to portray Obama as anti-business, and businesses have complained that Obama's signature health care law and Dodd-Frank financial reforms have raised costs. Yet you're seeing some record earnings, maybe not from the financials, yet you're seeing record earnings on Wall Street. Business groups are lobbying against his new plan to curb climate change and carbon emissions from power plants. I would take the complaints of the corporate community with a grain of salt, Obama said. He also said they always complain about regulation. That's their job, which I think he's kind of correct on. He has increasingly promoted populist economic measures, such as raising the minimum wage, to motivate Democratic voters ahead of critical November congressional elections, in which the Democrats face the prospect of losing control of the Senate and potentially him having no chance of leaving much of a legacy in his last four years. Oftentimes, he said, you'll hear hedge fund managers say, oh, he's just trying to stir class resentment. And he said, no, that's not the case in any way, shape, or form. He said, feel free to keep your house in the Hamptons and your corporate jet, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not concerned about how you're living at all. He said, I'm concerned about making sure that we have a system in which the ordinary person who's working hard and is being responsible can get ahead. He's got some frosty relationships with businesses, especially in the first term of his presidency. I've been living it. He said, quote, I did not run for office to be helping out a bunch of fat cat bankers on Wall Street. The White House has toned down the, that rhetoric, rhetoric that was given to the economist and that was given to in the first term versus the second term. He's rallied corporate America for support to advance executive actions on things like helping the long-term unemployed getting better technologies in schools, and providing more opportunities for young African-American men. I appreciate that. There's a huge gap, he said, between professed values and visions of corporate CEOs and how their lobbyists operate in Washington. And finally, he said, my challenge to them consistently is, is your lobbyist working as hard on those issues as he or she is preserving the tax break that you've gotten? And it's pretty, how shall we say, I'm not going to say contentious, but... It's a pretty dramatic, uh, highly fueled article. And I gotta say that, you know, I appreciate him. I gotta say that he's a little naive, and I, I don't think he's naive at all. He's president of the United States, he's older than I am. 
but this kind of presentation of you know come on corporate america i've done i've done you well corporate america is a lot like your neighbor it is defined as a public as a human being the irs counts corporations as people that's and not funny i know it's not funny but it's true and that's one of the problems that we have in setting up any sort of argument or any sort of debate on what corporations should do socially or not. My neighbor throws away all of his glass and recyclables in his trash. He is not socially... I, get rid of it. I should get rid of him, and I should probably go to his house with a wiffle bat and say, you do that again, I'm going to hit you with a wiffle bat. Wiffle bat. I think wiffle bat sounds funnier, though. But this argument that people should behave well kind of assumes that all people will. The argument that corporations should behave well kind of assumes that corporations should behave well, you know, all corporations should do it. And it's just not realistic, in my opinion, and that's the sad truth. And I hate saying that, but he hasn't done a lot of corporate tax reform, nor has Congress, to be fair. And someone has to get this ball rolling, because oil and gas companies sometimes pay up to 50 to 60% in taxes. And some companies pay no taxes. And when you see that, it's like, well, some Americans pay, and you've heard the golfer Phil Mickelson talk about it, how in the state of California, he gets taxed crazy. And some golfers in the state of Arizona, not so much. So he's like, I'm, I, I should just leave the state of California. And he catches heat for that. And it's like, well, you have a lot of money, but like, if you were him, and his career could have lasted a year, his career could last 30 years. You know, that's the thing that people don't take into account. Like when you see a comedian who get, hits a big, fat, great show, they spent 10 to 15 years getting that big, fat, great show, waiting tables, not knowing if they're ever going to break through or not. And, you know, they earned it, in my opinion, um, more often than not. But I don't know. I think that's an argument worth thinking about. And instead of pointing the finger and saying, hey, you've got a, a hit show, um, give me some of that money, not knowing the 15 years that person struggled. Or looking at a corporation saying, hey, you've done great, um, you know, you should be more socially responsible or what have you. I think those are all great values to think about. Um, but also like his idea or concept of corporations should stay in America and not go to another country to pay less taxes. I know a guy who's going to retire and go to uh, uh, Nicaragua, Guatemala. Like, I know this. I Ecuador as well. Like, there's some countries that have, like, such low tax bases, and they're so friendly to Americans that why stay in America and, and pay for a high cost of living? Why not go to a country with a low cost of living? Is he anti-American? I don't think so. But I think you get the idea where I'm going with us. Hopefully you do. So drop me an email if you want. Rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. Um, I certainly feel that, you know, there's plenty out there. You know, the affordable class, um, the affordable housing of the middle of the United States is starting to draw people with their U-Hauls from the coast to the, you know, the center of the country. Oklahoma City, for example, has outpaced most other cities in growth since 2011, become the 12th fastest-growing city last year. If you're middle class and you're struggling, I'd consider moving to another city. Because there's cities that have lower cost of living, that have a much more coveted demographic, young adults age 25 to 34, going from a net loss of millennials to a net gain, and that helps sustain future um, tax bases. 
country's fastest growing cities are, you know, where housing is cheapest now. Among people who have moved long distances, the number of those who cite the, the issue is housing as their primary motivation. So instead of flocking to the coast, the middle class is providing a boon to inland cities. Rising rents and the difficulty of securing a mortgage on the coast have proved, you know, time to move. So it's the opposite of the gold rush that's going on, and it's creating some winners out there. Um, I throw that out there because a lot of people are like, I love California. You know, look, I've been blessed with the life that I've gotten. If I was middle class, there's no chance, no chance. Like, working in radio and television, there's no chance that I would stay here. It's too, too expensive. I'd have to live with a friend or five roommates or something along those lines. No, 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 no. So Obama talking about corporate America. And then I go out and tell you, like, the middle class is struggling so much that they're actually moving to the center of the country at the fastest rates. I'm Rob Black. Find me at robblackshow.com or robblack.com. Email me, rob at robblackshow.com. Seminar coming up. You can sign up for it at robblack.com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Please don't be shy. I try to make this show crafted for you. Um, It doesn't always come out like that. Whether it's affordable housing stories or presidential stories that have to do with Wall Street, uh, election years, I try to craft it. You know, to be something you could digest. Like P.F. Chang's has recently named 33 restaurants in a data breach. You can go to their website and find out if it's one of the ones that you've eaten at, whether locally or nationally. P.F. Chang's stands for Paul Fleming. Chang's. It's really not a Chinese place. It's an American steakhouse, Paul Fleming's. And they've crafted a dining experience that's like high-end Chinese food. It's yet not Chinese food at all. If you've ever been to China, China, it looks nothing like that. Um, But... You know, if they say General So, which if you ask a person in China who's General So, no one knows. He was invented, apparently. Um, or he's vaguely known as a general. Anyhow, and anyway, let's talk a little real estate with Tony Mendez. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Tony specializes in mortgage lending. He also has a show here on KDOW, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. That's Again, all about real estate and lending and how to get the loan for the home of your dreams. Tony, we have seen a virtual cycle play out numerous times, it feels like. Adjustable rate mortgages were popular. Then they became un- then they got to kind of the point where they turned into hybrids where, you know, no document loans. And then we got back to let's kill those off for a while and go to 30 years and 15 years. Uh, real estate prices are down. People go with a 30. Real estate prices are up. They go with the arm. What's an arm? Well, it's an adjustable rate mortgage, and you can it's amortized for 30 years, which means your payments 
are going to be calculated over a 30-year period based on whatever rate you have at the time. A three-year arm, for example, means you're fixed for three years, and then after the third year, you become an adjustable. And you can adjust quite a bit based on a certain index. That index could be anything from the LIBOR to one of the treasury uh, um, accounts so or indexes. So it's not meant for everybody because after that fixed period, your payments could go up dramatically. So it's, it's a specific product that people use as a tool to keep their payments lower. That's the number one advantage of an ARM, adjustable rate mortgage, is that the rate's going to be about a half a point, sometimes a point lower than what you get on a 30-year fix. The shorter the term ARM or the ARM term, the lower the rate. So let's say you're staying in your house for three years. Right. And get a three-year arm. Why would you get a 30-year fix at a point higher than and then a 30-year than a three-year arm and save you know ten thousand dollars over that period of time? So that's why an arm makes sense. Does the property come into play? For instance, can you get an arm on a condo or townhouse? Um, you can, but, but an arm is a riskier product, so you need higher credit scores. You okay. need higher equity. Uh, you know, in a lot of cases, you need 25% or more equity to get an arm. Even though lately. Jumbo arms have become more aggressive. You can go up to 80%, but over 80%, you're done unless you get an FHA loan, which are pricey to begin with. It kind of negates the benefit of having an arm. And part of the whole cycle, again, is at some point in time, you're going to be able to get up to 103% on all these products because we get to the point where we keep loosening standards, loosening standards, loosening standards. Disaster. Disaster. Tight. And then we tighten standards, and then we loosen them, loosen them, loosen them. This was a pretty tragic event that happened uh, to the housing industry, and, and they've be- since then become over-regulated. And it's going to continue getting tougher, but it, it right now I'd say we're about what we were in 99 to 2000 as far as guidelines. And then, you know, you know what, hit the fan, and... Lenders started going crazy with the NEGAM loans, loans that would actually increase your balance based on a start rate of like 1%. Those aren't going to come back. So we're going to be a little bit more conservative as far as the type of products available and close some of the doors on on risky products like the the NEGAM. Uh, I guess I just said the same thing over, but it really does emphasize that lenders are scared about selling these products back to the the secondary market, and they're going to continue over being over-regulated and over uh, um, criticize your loan scenario. Speaking with Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com, how often or how much money do you make? Is it different for an arm versus a 15-year versus a 30-year? It, it, it's not. Okay. Uh, one of the things that did change is the way that lenders and loan officers and brokers are compensated so that they charge the same for each scenario. Um, but in the past, uh, we used to have lenders that co- came to our office and they would promote certain products, not the ones that were the best for the client, but the best for the loan officer to make the most money. That's where we got in the most trouble is loan officers were looking to make the most money and selling the wrong products to the clients. That's gone away. So what else should we know about that cash scenario or about the real, the scenario where you use a lender, you want them to make money, but you don't want them to make too much money? And you don't want them to make nothing because then they're not going to really work for you and get to know you. Right. The first thing you want to do is just make sure that you have the right scenario. Good credit. You want equity in your property. Good income. And you don't want to stray off of that path because there are some, you know, you have to use FHA. You have to use a private money loan. You want to stick in the mainstream. That's why I'm worried about this private sector um, funding that Obama's trying to push. It's, it could make it a lot worse for people in higher rates. So you want to first make sure your scenario is correct, and then you want to do some shopping. I like using a broker because brokers use several different lenders that could fit your scenario into their slot, where if you did it on your own and you 
tried to go to one lender and then another lender. You're running your credit more often, and you may not hit the right lender that has the right scenario. So there are several things that you can do to make sure that you ensure that you end up with the right pricing. Get a good faith estimate. Make sure you shop on the right the same day uh, because rates change quite often. And there's some quite a few other tools that you can use. Thanks very much. You can find Tony Mendez at BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Getting to know the right product, getting to know the right lender, I think is critical. You do not want to be in a scenario where you go into a bank and try to get a loan because you're not going to get the product that's right for you. You're going to get the product that they want to push to you. You're listening to me, Rob Black. That's Tony Mendez, and you can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. I'm Rob Black. A couple things that I want to hit this segment as well, if I may. A half-trillion-dollar exodus is going on with money markets right now. As the push to make money market funds safer for investors is turning out to be none other than a big push or big win for the government. Rules have been adopted by regulators last month that are going to require money funds that invest in riskier assets to abandon their traditional dollar share price floor and disclose daily changes in value. So if you park money with a bank, they actually go out and lend money. And how much they lend is leverage. Is it you know one times your dollar, two times your dollar, three times your dollar? Are they invested in safe things? Are they invested in you know riskier? And because that's going to now start getting disclosed, then they're going to have to change the value of their dollar. Some people are going to say, I want my money out of the bank, and I'll give it to the U.S. government and some treasuries, uh, just for safety reasons. That could be about $500 billion that helps fund our debt in America. Um, pretty big market. Anyhow, um, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. Find me online at robblack.com. Big event coming up. One for Money 101, one for Wealth Preservation, one for Wealth Creation, one for Wealth Preservation. So which one are you? You can learn more about the events at robblack.com. I'm Rob Black. Thanks for listening to the show. Warren Buffett is a man I respect. Anytime he has a quarterly report, I read it. It's not great reading in the sense of super big fantasy. It's not. He reported one of his biggest quarterly earnings haul ever recently. I think he is a masterpiece of capitalism. His annual letters are 50 shades of financial gray, if you know what I'm saying. Hint, hint, wink, wink. His 10 Q's, you have to file a quarterly report. 
as a corporation. You have to file an annual report, and he writes an annual letter. To me, they're like a peek in the Marquis de Sade's private diary. I want, I want. I'm passionate about this stuff. Um, Buffett's stock holdings are surprisingly focused. It is something I learned from reading his recent release. Berkshire's top four holdings account for 58% of his equity investments. Um, if you include his $10.5 billion worth of Bank of America options, that brings his top five holdings to 60%. So one thing that we learned is he's got some big bets, some big long-term bets. His big long-term bets are Wells Fargo, Coca-Cola, American Express, IBM, and Bank of America. Now, with that said, I like all those companies. I'm going to pick one that you want to, you'd be surprised. It's Coca-Cola. I saw a recent infographic on how many people, how much Coke is drinking per day. It's basically one out of four people a day drink a Coca-Cola. That's shocking when you start looking at how many billions of people live on the planet. One out of four. It's crazy, right? Um, So it's a pretty big, powerful company. And I throw it out there for you because, yeah, you and I live in a world where, you know, calories this and calories that and new Coke and sugar and why do they have to put it in there? Uh, Caffeine, why do they got so much corn? Like, it's pretty shocking, in my opinion, like, that the company could do so well. Uh, And again, it's one of the reasons he owns Coca-Cola. I usually can't make a case for owning Coca-Cola because I live in my world, and I go, yeah, like, none of my friends drink Coke, and I remember a couple years ago I walked into a business meeting with a Diet Coke, and I felt like I was walking into a business meeting with a cigarette. But two out of ten, excuse me, not one out of uh, four, but it's two out of ten persons in the world, 20% in the world drink Coke every day, 1.8 billion servings daily. I can make a case for Coca-Cola, much like Warren Buffett has, just on that alone. Buffett talks a big game on taxes, but he plays by the same rules everyone else does. Now, he once talked about how he pays a higher percentage of tax than his secretary. No, he pays a lower percentage than his secretary. His secretary pays a higher percentage than him. Uh, Most of his income increases were in the form of investment gains. He cashed out of Amazon or cashed out when Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post. By swapping out shares instead of cash, Buffett was able to book a hundredfold gain in in his stock purchase from the 1970s without paying any taxes. So he does say, you know, taxes in America are odd. And he even looks at Proposition 13 in California as very, very odd. And he speaks publicly about it, yet he will go out and take advantage of it. He has a surprising large amount of common shares with some tech titans. Um, You know, Berkshire's massive cash flow from insurance operations funds everything else the company does. Insurance is to Buffett what, you know, search is to Google, and Windows is to Microsoft. It's a nonstop inflow that allows Buffett to focus on allocating capital. Buffett uses his money to buy things like Heinz as opposed to Beats headphones. Apple goes out and buys Beats. He goes out and buys Heinz. So... His insurance companies and his reinsurance companies, you know, Geico is one of his better-known investments. 
brings in, you know, we write checks every month to, you know, Geico. And Warren Buffett, big shareholder, takes those checks and says, thank you. So speaking of Bezos, Jeff Bezos from Amazon, Berkshire has a surprisingly large amount in common with some tech titans. Um, so like I said, his business is cash flow, I think is the bottom line. I think his real secret is, you know, he's optimistic. As an investor, we tend to get greedy, we tend to get fearful. I get calls and emails all the time saying, what should I do with this? He likes trains. He likes ice cream. He likes Coca-Cola. He likes banking. He likes mortgages. So I think that's a gift to be optimistic as an investor and not pessimistic. But then again, he also doesn't throw his, his money at things that he doesn't understand. He missed the big stock market run from 96 to 2000 of tech stocks. Because he wasn't buying tech companies. He'd rather go for a company like Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen makes uh, a freeze, a uh, blizzard. Do you know how much money there is in, in yogurt? Do you know why so many people open up yogurt stores? And I would say there's too damn many yogurt stores in the world right now. If we can have a yogurt store apocalypse and like maybe cut 50% of them out. Do you know why so many yogurt stores open up? Because they're cheap to open up. It's incredibly cheap um, it's incredibly cheap marketing. Kids love it. It's supposedly healthy for you. Uh, they do some funny things in yogurt stores. Oh, oh wait for, for the record. Um, they will sell $4 of yogurt, and it costs about $0.10 cents to make. Yeah. Now, again, there's other costs. Let's put a teenager with acne behind the counter. And, and let's have the owner do some shifts on occasion. Owner's wife, maybe it's wife is an owner, I don't know, however you want to look at it. Um, but the frozen yogurt craze is starting to slow down a little bit. But again, it does tell you, you know, um, why there's so much there's so much money in it. You know, pink berry, red mango, 16 handles. Um, frozen yogurt is very competitive in the end of how many that they can squeeze in. But they do things like they put a light green color of paint on the walls because that's perceived as healthier. They use a lot of lighting, but very low lighting. So it's well lit, uh, very, very, very close to the product. And, you know, they obviously spread out the goodies so that you continue to stack them in. So I don't know. Just throwing it out there for you. Anything you want to talk about we can talk about? Uh, money investing in more. Um, you know, I think retail is something that we have to look at because we as a nation are such consumers. There was an interesting story recently about how Amazon changed the price of a single item eight times in one day. A Wi-Fi dual-band wireless router uh, changed the price of it four times in one day. How smart they are, maybe? What is... Amazon aspires to as being the fastest follower of the price leader. Amazon has been estimated to alter its prices more than 2.5 million times daily. Retailers such as Best Buy and Walmart make roughly 50,000 price changes over the course of an entire month. So it's all dependent on the product. Time of day, when shoppers are most likely to be shopping for a category. You know, video games, they'll change the prices for in the evening because there's you know, more buyers in the evening versus the day. I don't know. I find that kind of interesting. 
I don't know if it's like, wow, but kind of interesting, right? Walmart's making their website a little bit more personable so that if a mother buys um, a stroller, she'll also start seeing things for, like, diapers. Uh, just throwing it out there for you. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, there was an earlier story that I talked about P.F. Chang's being affected by a data breach. And then I went in and I started talking about P.F. and Paul Fleming's. I forgot to mention to you, I think everyone should check their credit every four to six months. You can go to annualcreditreport.com, pull your credit from one of the three big unions, uh, Transperian, Experian, and TransUnion. Uh, I'm forgetting one in there. I think I said TransUnion twice. Uh, point being is that you can do it three times a year uh, for free, and I highly recommend it. Uh, it's not your credit score. It's your credit report. And you get to see things like, are you doing things right or wrong? Um, you get to see things like what's open, what's not open. Hey, I didn't have that credit inquiry at, um, you know, an auto dealer. What's going on? Is my identity being stolen? A friend of mine had their identity stolen. Um, <laughs> oddly enough, of all places, Tinder. Someone took pictures of her and put them on Tinder and had a fake name and a fake uh, profile. I don't know why. Um, there's a big thing going on with Tinder now where prostitutes are showing up on Tinder and, you know, you like them, they like you, and then suddenly in conversation they're like, let's transact some money here. It's like, oh, I wasn't expecting that, but sure, why not? So there's problems growing up in some business models that we thought were clean and pure or what were once simple. Get it a little bit more complicated with robots and prostitutes invading. I know, robots, prostitutes... Uh, Robot prostitutes. Like, what did he just say? <laughs> I know. It's all tied towards computers and accounts being hacked, though. It makes some sort of sense. I'm Rob Black. So, fast-growing cities are where you can look for investment properties, and or you could look for jobs, or you could look for a spouse, um, and I highly recommend it. If you're in your 20s or 30s, and you're looking around, and you're barely making ends meet, and you're getting older, and a spouse or a career is something that's important to you, Move. I've got a friend who's pushing 40 that I've known for 12, 13 years now. And she's not the most attractive woman. And she's given up on dating. And she's actually going to spend $10,000 to hire a, uh, not a, not a headhunter, but a matchmaker. I'm stunned by that. Um, but she might want a kid. And I would say something like, why don't you consider moving? And you, it's almost laughter that comes out of her mouth. Um, 
Uh, why don't you consider lowering your standards? Why don't you consider hanging out a burn clinic and uh, meet a nice single guy coming out of a burn clinic? Nope, 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 nope. And she's going to spend $10,000. That's crazy. I myself would move to Austin. That would probably be my first choice because I like live music. And I'm saying if I'm we're younger. Thriving university town. 250 live music venues. Festivals like it's famed South by Southwest. Uh, massive University of Texas. 50,000 plus enrollment. It's got a lot of engineering, computer science programs. It's attracted a lot of big tech companies like Apple, Google, Facebook, and Intel looking to recruit young talent. Unemployment rates 4.7%. I'd consider doing it. I'd consider moving to Raleigh. Um, cities like Durham, Chapel Hill, Raleigh, they formed the Triangle. So they've got three major universities in basically a 45-mile triangle or smaller. So Duke, NC State, UNC. Um, they're not the only employers there. They also have you know, local quality of life, uh, a lot of healthcare, a lot of arts, a lot of sports. Um, hiring is picked up. Their unemployment rate, about 5.2% right now. Housing is affordable, only 10% higher than the national norm. Incomes are 20% higher. You know, another city I'd probably consider moving to is San Antonio. And I don't really like Texas, but Austin and San Antonio are my two favorite parts of Texas. Economy is still, you know, riding high on the back of oil. Valero. Whoa, 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 whoa. Um, one of the large soil companies based there. The economy is diversified, though. It's got healthcare, it's got tourism, it's got financial services. So you could do well there. It's a young city. It's helping boost the population uh, because they're having babies. Fewer deaths because we're young and more births. So it's adding the population pretty quickly. Um, and that's a place where you can meet a husband or a wife, maybe I should say as well, so as not to be sexist. That's a place where you can have a job. One of the things you look for in a spouse is those things. I like Denver. It's cold. Great skiing, biking, and hiking. People see Colorado as a place for opportunity. Uh, employment's growing at about roughly 3%. Their unemployment rate is falling down to about 6% from 7.8% last year. Um, they've got Halliburton, they've got Comcast, they've got CenturyLink. A lot of economic development with education, with business services, with healthcare. They still have some mining and some energy plays there too. Um, home prices aren't exactly cheap, but they're affordable relative to the income. So very high incomes. Um, 78000 is the median family income. Average house is 259000 in theory, you could afford, pay twice your income, two and a half times your income. So if you're making 80, you could pay 16200. So maybe you'd have to come up with some down payment. But think of that in the Bay Area. If you're making 100, you could only afford a $250,000 house. Um, so if you bring in another spouse, they make 100. You know, suddenly you're able to afford a $500,000 house. It's pretty rough. Uh, Nashville is the city that I highlighted. Um, 15 years ago as a potential city, and its real estate markets outgrow. It's got you know, record companies, music publishers, it's got clubs, it's got guitars, which are all things like, uh, you know, for younger people. So that's pretty cool. About half of all nonprofit, I'm sorry, about half of all for-profit hospital beds in the country are administered from Nashville. Healthcare is a $30 billion industry there. 
the reasonable cost of living, which is 14% less than the national average. Um, so again, it's not just country music. It's not just hillbilly. Certainly there's some hilly-billy going on there as far as action. Um, I very much so also like Charlotte, North Carolina, second biggest banking center in the United States behind only New York. It's home of Bank of America, Citigroup, uh, Alley Financial has offices there, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo. A lot of jobs are being created by spinoffs of these financial mammoths, um, like Babson Capital, professor of economics uh, at University of North Carolina, mentioned you know some of the spinoffs, they stay local. Former employees of big banks have founded financial consulting firms, and you know creates a heck of an opportunity. Plus, if you like fast cars, NASCAR has multiple offices there, and you know races going on on a regular basis in that part of America. Um, crazy. I don't know if you've ever been to a NASCAR event. I've been to one, and I'll say this: incredibly noisy. Uh, much noisier than your TV can kick up in your own house. So that's just you know some real simple ideas of what I would do. Again, at one point in my career, I could have stayed on the East Coast, and I said, you know what, I want a bigger career. And I sold my house, and I moved off to the West Coast. Um, and I never looked back. So um, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Oh, I'm sorry, robblack.com, robblack.com. You can email me, rob at robblackshow.com. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone. Drop me an email. We'll talk soon. Big events coming up. You can find out more about my seminars. One for the younger people, creating wealth. One for the older people, protecting it and keeping it till the day you die. Um, you can sign up for either or event at robblack.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.